You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How are you doing? Good. Happy 4th of July, and uh, it's going to be a great day. We get to celebrate our independence. I was thinking about that earlier. We as Christians, though, we don't celebrate our independence. We celebrate our dependence because our dependence on Christ is what does bring us freedom and independence in our life. Uh, We're so excited to be able to come and just uh, share with you as we continue in our series. And today we'll be looking at the Church of Sardis. It could be called the Church of the Living Dead uh, because that's what the scripture says about it. Our goal in this teaching, in this series, is to encourage all of us to live our lives uh, with the end in mind. Uh, The big idea that I want to share with you this morning is this, is that we need to wake up, we need to work out, and we need to wash our clothes. And you'll understand that a little bit more as we develop this theme, looking at the church of Sardis. As we look at some historical perspective about the city of Sardis, uh, it was the oldest and the largest churches in Asian Minor. Uh, it was a city that was founded in 2000 BC, 1200 BC, it became the capital of Lydia. Uh, it was an extremely wealthy and self, uh, self-sufficient uh, city. Uh, and thus it could be very easy prone to complacency and being overconfident because of their wealth. Uh, it was a city that was built on a mountain. This is what really made it such a, a fortress of a city. Literally three sides of the city was 1,500 feet cliffs. Uh, there was only one side of the city that would have been open or if vulnerable, if you will, to attack. And uh, so all they had to do was concentrate on one side. And uh, so it really was known as a city that could not be breached. In 546 BC, though, there was a king of Persia. His name was Cyrus. He came uh, with his army to take the city. And he surrounded the city only to discover that he could not get in. But he didn't give up. He continued to stay there uh, waiting to see if there would be a way that would open up. One day there was a soldier from the city of Sardis that was up on top of one of those cliff walls. And as he looked over, his helmet fell off. 
And the story goes that there was a soldier that was watching that part of the wall. He saw this take place, and it wasn't long after that that he saw a soldier come out of a secret door at the bottom of the mountain. He retrieved his helmet, went back to the secret door, up a secret path, and he gained or took his position back again uh, on top of the wall. Needless to say, this soldier was really excited to get the news to King Cyrus. And uh, so he goes to him, he tells him what he has discovered, that there is a place of vulnerability. A lot of times that can be our lives. We can feel like we're so fortified, we got everything in control, and yet there can be a door of vulnerability. But yet what King Cyrus did, he took all his entire army, he went to the one side that wasn't guarded by the cliffs, if you will. And so all the army of the church, or not the church, the city of Sardis went to defend that position. And when that took place, a small band of soldiers came, breached the door, got into the city, and then the city was overtaken. And so it's been said that they came in like a thief in the night. And that's a phrase that we understand in this passage that talks about that. So as we look at King uh, Kerosis, which is the king of Sardis, uh, there's that saying that says, there's no deceit like self-deceit. Just when you think you can't be overtaken, you will be overtaken. As we look at the church history of Sardis, it was a, a church that was very wide open to all forms of spirituality. Uh, there were temples and worshipers that were Jewish, Christian, worshipers of Baal or Armadus. And all religions, though, were tolerated by the Roman Empire. At the time that we're speaking of here, uh, Sardis was in the control of, of Rome. Uh, when archaeologists discovered a temple that was found there, it was, it was discovered as being the largest Jewish temple discovered outside of Palestine. When they found those artifacts there, one of the things that they found was a table that literally on the end of the table, this was something that was used in the Jewish temple. There were two eagles, which were the emblems of the Roman Empire. Which all of this tells us that there was a commingling, there was a blending together of all the religious systems, the political systems, and there's that saying that can be said that if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. The church of Sardis had become a church of nothingness. Their slogan could have been, whatever works for you is cool. It was a church that had lost its distinctiveness. There was, they were no different than the world. They just wanted to get along with everyone. And yet, when they made this compromise, what they did was they killed the message and the power of what Jesus and who Jesus was in their life. It's the same thing with us. When we compromise so much, when we look so much like the word, we nullify the message of Jesus to others. John 14 verses six tells us that Jesus very clearly spoke that he was this. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the father but by me. It's very distinctive, is it not? And that's what we believe as followers of Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They got used to religion, and yet God has never been about religion. 
God is about relationship. The whole book of the Bible is a love letter to you and me. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but you would have eternal life. And so there's this difference. Religion is man's rules and rituals that basically give a minimum thing that we have to do to feel right with God. And yet that does not bring eternal salvation to you. Just going to church doesn't make you a Christian. In as much as if you were born in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. Okay? And yet, Jesus was all about relationship. And so, as we look at the condition of the Sardis church, verse 1 of chapter 3 says this To the angel of the church of Sardis, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your deeds and you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. There's two different things there you may look at is, first of all, you have the seven spirits of God. Oh, I thought there was just one Holy Spirit, right? Let me tell you, give you a little bit of an understanding about that. And we see in Isaiah 11, verse 2, it, it speaks of one spirit. It speaks of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11:2 2 describes the spirit as this. Number one, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, of power, of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And so it's one spirit with many different characteristics. I stand to you here today. My name is Mark Roy. I'm the husband of Susie Roy. I am the father to Jordan, Ashley, Emily, and Bonnie. I'm the grandfather to Shepard, to Evie, to Maggie, and next month to Penelope. So I got, we have our, our next grandchild coming. So I'm the same person, but there's different attributes to who I am. And that's what it is with the Spirit. In Revelation 1.20, it says that the seven stars speak to the seven angels or messengers that are sent to the seven churches out of the book of Revelation. So they were a church that had a reputation of being alive, but they were dead. When Jesus spoke to the four churches that we have previously looked at in this series, the church at Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergama, Thyatira, he always had something good to compliment them about, to give them a word of praise. But it's interesting when we look at Sardis, there's not one single thing that he can bring a compliment to. They were a church full of nominal Christians. They had become just like the world. There was no difference in the way that they lived their life than the world. Romans 12, verse two, I used this verse last week and I remind us of it again today. In verse two, it says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. 1 John 2 gives us further instruction in verses 15 through 17. It says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that are in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away with its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So that's instructions to us that we are not to get caught up in lusting, desiring the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. But if we are to avoid becoming like the church at Sardis, what are we supposed to do? 
Revelation 3.2 begins to give us some instructions. And I like to be real practical. These are heavy messages. And yet I like to be practical because we don't have to live like the church of Sardis. We can be a church that is alive, fully passionate in love with our Savior, Jesus Christ. It says in verse 2, it says, wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about which you were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. So the first thing he tells us to do, it is to wake up. That word wake up is like a military term. It means to be awake, to be alert, to be vigilant. So in other words, our posture in life is that we have to be awake. Inasmuch as there is a God that loves you and he wants to give you abundant life, there's a God that wants, uh, there's a devil that wants to what? To steal, kill, and destroy your life. And so we have to be awake. Proverbs 6, verses 10 through 11 says this, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Now, that can speak to financially, but also it can speak to us emotionally. If we don't take care of ourselves emotionally, you will find yourself in poverty. It speaks to our spirituality. If you do not take care of yourself spiritually, you will find yourself in poverty. You will find yourself in scarcity of what you need to live life. So the first thing we're to do is to wake up. The second thing is that we're to work out. The scripture says that we are to strengthen the things that remain. That word strengthen is a word that means to make fast, to establish a support that fixes to plant down. And so if we are to be strengthened in the things of God and not become like the church of Sardis, we have to work out. Now, all of us uh, probably have great desires to work out, some more than others. Uh, I try to do my best. I try to, my goal is to get 10,000 steps in in every day. Uh, I can't say I do it every day, but I'm about 60% there, you know. And all of us know, though, whenever we get out and work, whether it's mowing the yard or chasing kids or whatever, which is work, um, you know, whenever we work out, we always feel better, don't we? It's a natural thing. It's the same thing with your spirit. When you work your spirit out, when you do some things that we'll look at in just a moment, you begin to get stronger. You begin to get stronger. And he says, you need to strengthen that which remains. But as we look at the church of Sardis, it could be as a church on life support, spiritual life support. It was barely, barely alive. So how do we strengthen ourselves? Number one, or is it we, one of the ways that we strengthen ourselves is by reading and by the hearing of the word of God. It's important for you to know your Bible, to read your Bible. I shared in one of the earlier services, one of the disciplines I did early in my walk with the Lord. Someone told me this. Uh, I, I think it was Billy Graham's wife, actually. I heard her one time say this, that she read the book of Proverbs over and over and over again. The good thing about the 
the book of Proverbs. It's got 31 chapters in it. It's called the book of wisdom. And wisdom is really what, it'll teach you how to live life. And so whatever day it is, today's July the 4th. So I would read the fourth chapter of the book of Proverbs and I would take notes. And it was amazing for years and years and years, I did that discipline. And every single time I would see something new out of God's word that applied to my life. It also is when I hear the word of God. I just don't hear a sermon on Sunday or preach a sermon uh, uh, on Sunday, but I listen to God's word all through the week. I listen to sermons. There's certain podcasts that I love to listen to because I want to continue to grow in my life. The second thing that we see here is that we need to practice his presence. Now, what does that mean? Practice his presence is a, a discipline that I've learned. For me, it's, it's worship music. I'm very music oriented. I love worship and it's something that really brings me alive. Back in 1991, uh, I, at that time, I was on staff of a large denominational church in Austin, Texas, and I really had grown really weary in my life, kind of with all the politics of church and just kind of it, you know, it was just like a, a lot of religion and there wasn't a whole lot of life on it. And I remember it was in that time that I really began to seek out and say, God, you need to show me what's more. And I remember really understanding what it meant to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I got filled with the Holy Spirit in in. Because of that, I ended up leaving that denominational church. I moved to San Antonio for the first time. And it was in that time I went through five years of, quote, not being in the profession of ministry, which was one of the most challenging times of my life. But also, it was one of the greatest times. But in 1991, I found myself in a state of depression. Now, I don't know if I would necessarily call it depression. I'm a pretty positive person. Uh, I see the glass always half full. And yet I was in the middle of it. You may be here today and you may be in the middle of a depression because of life, because of circumstances. And the very thing that I thought was going to take place wasn't taking place. Uh, you know how sometimes when we make choices and God's leading us to change things, to change a direction, and you do what you feel like you're supposed to do, and then it gets harder. Anybody ever been there? I was there, and I can remember that particular Christmas. We had gone home to Baytown, Texas, uh, where my wife Susie was from. I was laying in her bed that she grew up in, and a friend of mine had given me a CD, uh, a friend of mine named Kevin Prosh, called Save Us, O God. And I can remember listening to six songs that he had on that, and those songs literally took me out of depression. Now, I was talking to people, too. But the presence of God through those songs changes me. It still does to this day. There's days when I, I feel out of kelter and I feel maybe anxious or whatever. And I practice his presence through worship. For you, it may be getting out and doing a walk in nature. It may be reading a book. It may be just getting still. But it's purposely practicing his presence. Because you see, his whole, the Holy Spirit is so wants to be there with you. And he wants you to feel his presence. The third thing that we see here of how we strengthen ourselves is through fellowship with other followers of Jesus. That's why here at City Tribe, we have what are called tribe groups. We have different small groups where we come together. This is great for us to come together as a large body, but we need to come into smaller expressions to where you can know and you can be known. 
I love what it says in Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 15, when it says this, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of deceitful scheming, scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So I need to be around people that will speak the truth to me in love right? This is not an independent sport. We need each other if we're going to grow. And that's what happens in small groups, in our tribe groups, is that we get to be with each other to be strengthened and to be encouraged in this walk that we all have with Jesus. Uh, The last thing uh, that I want to point out of how we strengthen ourselves it is to remember. The scripture says, so that you would remember what you have received and what you have heard. That word literally means to call to mind, to call by memory. This week when I was preparing, I I went into a room in my house where I keep a lot of books and uh, I I had noticed this book particularly. And, And it was a book, I can honestly say, this book probably has not been opened in 20 years. Now it's a Bible. I do have another Bible. So I'm not saying I didn't read the word of God, but this particular Bible, I I had not opened in over 20 years. And I'd been studying, I'd been thinking about this and I was thinking about this thing, remember. So I opened it up and it was just amazing what I found in it. And it was a Bible that I had received. I got saved when I was 18 years old back in 1975, actually 76. So I've been a follower of Christ for 45 years. I know I don't look that old, but I'm that old. But when I I opened my Bible, the first thing that I found was a certificate of baptism. I mean, that looks brand new, doesn't it? This is 45 years old. It's been in a book. And in it, it says that Mark Roy was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit on the 15th of February, 1976 in Lake Jackson, Texas. So it brought to remembrance of what it was like when I got saved and born again and followed the Lord in baptism. We'll be having baptism in a couple weeks. If you've never been baptized, you may have professed and put your faith in Jesus. This is a huge part of your salvation experience about what it is. But that was the first thing I found. The second thing that I found was this little page of notes. And I I really could, I mean, this is very poorly written notes. You can see right here. This was the first time I ever spoke publicly. It was in a Sunday school class in the 12th grade. And I remember giving a little four or five minute devotion to all my peers that were in that Sunday school class. And I taught out of Matthew chapter six, but it brought to remembrance that this is where it began. It began, it was there. And then I found one more thing which did have any spiritual significance. It's a picture of my prom, my senior prom with Kathy Smith wearing some really terrible clothes. But anyway, but it was something that it made me remember. You see, there's power in remembrance. I mean, today you may be discouraged. You may be asking God, where are you? And one of the ways that we lift ourselves up and we strengthen ourselves is when we remember the faithfulness of God. God has never left you. 
He will never leave you nor forsake you, but we need to remember the things that we have received and we have heard. So those are the things that we need to do if we're going to strengthen ourselves. But I want you to hear the promise that comes from our Heavenly Father. Colossians 1, verses 11 through 12. It says, God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will not give up when trouble comes. Not if trouble comes, but it will come. You may be here this morning and say, Mark, I'm just at the verge of giving up. Would you allow... God to strengthen you today because he says he'll do it even when maybe we're not working out like we should. We're not practicing the spiritual things that we should to make ourselves grow and strengthen him. God says, I will strengthen you and you'll joyfully give thanks to the father who has made you able to have a share in all that he has prepared for his people in the kingdom of light. God has things prepared for every single one of you. God's plans for you are not for calamity. Jeremiah 29, 11 are not for bad things to happen to you, but God's plans for you are to give you a future and a hope. That's how God strengthens us. He has a plan for your life and my life. So we need to wake up. We need to work out. We need to strengthen ourselves in the things of God if we're going to remain spiritual alive. And then it says at the latter part of that, that we are to remember what we received and heard and keep it and to repent. We keep hearing that word, repent. And that word repent literally means for there to be a change of mind. And when we change our thinking, we change our action. And that's the reason why sometimes there can be some things that we try to do and we just stop trying to do those things. And yet you have to realize every action is tied to how you think. That's why our minds need to be renewed by the power of God in his word. So it means to repent. So we are not called to one time, two times, three times to repent. But all of us as followers of Jesus, if you have confessed him as your Savior and your Lord, it's a lifestyle of repentance. Because every day there's still stinking thoughts in my mind that don't line up with who God is. And so we have to change our minds. Our minds are constantly being bombarded to be conformed to the ways of this world. But if we are called to be a people of contrast and culture, we have to be willing to repent. Jesus says after that, therefore, if you don't wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at the hour in which I will come. There is a day and a time when Jesus will return to this earth and you'll hear more about that in the future. And so it is a promise. And when Jesus comes back, I want to be ready. So the big idea again is to wake up, work out, wash your clothes. That leads us to our last point here in Revelation 3, verse 4, is that we're to wash our clothes. It says in verse 4, but you have a few people, not many, a few people in Sardis who have not sold their garments and they walk with me in white for they are worthy. See, we talked about repentance. Repentance is tied to keeping garments or keeping our clothes clean. Repentance is like the washing machine. 
And what's so great about God and about his forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9 says this, when you and I sin, it says if we confess our sin, that word confess there, come into agreement with God that what I've done is wrong. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The white garments speak of robes of righteousness in scripture. So there were some that had not conformed to the way. They had not sold their garments. They had not allowed stains to remain, dirt of this world to be there. And then in Isaiah 1, verses 16 through 18, it says this, wash and make yourself clean. So we have a responsibility with this. It doesn't just happen. You know, children, it doesn't just happen. Mom has to wash their clothes, you know. It doesn't just happen. It says, wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing what is wrong. Learn to do what's right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the poor. And then he says, come now, let's settle this matter. Let us reason together, one of the translations says. It says, though your sins be as scarlet. That's red. Though they meet, they shall be white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. So he wants us to have clean garments. He is our righteousness. He is the one that allows us, even when we go through everyday life and there's stuff that's thrown on us through the world and we feel defiled and we feel dirty. You know what I'm talking about? Coming home for work or whatever it is. He says he can cleanse us. So as we move into concluding our talk this morning, Revelation 3, 5, and 6 says this. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And then he says, he who has ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And so he says that he who overcomes will have white clothes. And so that should be our goal every day is that we overcome the ways of this world, that we walk in the manner in which God's word teaches us and helps us to walk in. Victory does not come just to us. It's something that we have to fight for. You see, all believers are overcomers. It's what I call positionally true in our life. God has granted us that. 1 John 5, verses 4 through 5 says this. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now let that sink in. Whoever is born of God, who's asked Christ to come into their life, has overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So it's our faith that we have. So positionally, every single person in here, you're an overcomer. That is positionally what God's word says, right? But then every day, we have to make that a possessional truth in our life. That I am going to be an overcomer. That I will not be overtaken. I am not a victim. I'm a victor. 
That's the posture of the gospel in our life. And then it goes on in verse five. It says, who is the one that overcomes the world? But he who believes in Jesus Christ, the son of God. And then he says, I will not erase his name out of the book of life. That is not a threat to us. That is a promise to us. That is the, 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 the meaning of that there. That he promises us he will not take us out of his will. The letter ends with this statement. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what he says to the church. All of us have ears. All of us can hear. But do we listen? My wife says this to me all the time. Honey, did you hear me? I heard you. But I wasn't listening. You need to take the garbage out. You heard what I'm saying? So God speaks to us and we hear him, but are we listening? Listening denotes that we're going to take in whatever we're hearing and we are going to do. So what is God speaking to you this morning? What do you need to do? Do you need to wake up? You need to work out? Do you need to wash your clothes? What do you need to do? When I opened this book, I also found this little piece of paper here. This is questions that an 18-year-old boy wrote to himself. And I'll close with these. The first question I asked was this. What competes for my loyalty in my life to Jesus? What competes? How, second question, how closely do you connect the possession of material things with your self-esteem or worth? And then here's a question I want to leave you with this morning. What one thing stands in the way of you having a closer relationship to Jesus? So even as you're looking at me, look at your heart. And just say, Lord, show me one thing. If it's the pursuit of material things, which the church of Sardis had all the material stuff, and yet they were vulnerable. God viewed them as being alive on the outside, but they're in, the, in the inside, their insides, they were dead. But what is the one thing that the Holy Spirit would say in your life? I want you to change this. See, that's the whole reason why we gather together so that we can be sharpened, so that we can be thoughtful and internally looking at ourselves saying, Lord, what is the one thing? An 18-year-old boy wrote that 45 years ago. What's the one thing? What's the one thing? So though this may seem to be a heavy message, it's really not. It's a message of encouragement that all of us have the potential to be like the church of Sardis, that we can have all the appearance of being alive and yet we're dead. And I thought of this statement. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've been more passionately in love with him, more committed to following him? And if so, You've gone away from that. Your heart's grown cold. 
this morning would you make a commitment to say, Lord, I want to be alive to you. Let's pray together. Father, I just come to you today and I thank you for all my brothers and sisters here that have come. And Lord, I just pray right now that, Lord, as you say, him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Lord, speak to us today. Holy Spirit, would you show us that one thing that can be the beginning of, of bringing our inner spirits alive again. Father, I just pray for those that may be spiritual investigators. Maybe they don't have a relationship with you. They may have been a religious person. They may have gone to church all their life, and yet they were like me at 18 years old. I'd gone to church every Sunday. My daddy, dad was a pastor, and yet I didn't know you. But then I came aware of that relationship that I could have with you through Jesus. And if, if you're like one of those people, the scripture says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, that you can just say, Father, please forgive me of all my sin. I ask you to come into my life. And he says, you can become born again. Your spirit can be born again, brought to life in him. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we speak all this in the name of Jesus. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.